Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. We understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome back to the Bible. Wait, what? What? I love that. I love the title of this podcast. Um, thank you, Pastor Rowan, for joining us. Uh, my name is Amanda, and we are here to talk more about our liturgical Bible plan that we're doing together as three churches: Camden, yep. Picton, and yep. Thoreau. Uh, and we've been doing it since towards the beginning of the year. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about this podcast yeah yeah i'm having a lot of fun so far so thanks yeah. for your first time being on the other side of the microphone yes it is it this is a bit of a unique podcast pastor jeff baxter said the other day it's unique in that um the usually the interviewer is the person that stays the same and the interviewees change it's the opposite in this podcast yeah yeah, yeah but it is it's good because uh, so far i've listened to part of the first episode and a half i've mm-hmm. uh, been able to listen to a little bit of it and it's exciting it's exciting that it all interconnects together we had some very long conversations those first couple of episodes (laughs) yes but it's all really interesting stuff um yeah so it's yeah thank you very much Ah, for doing this and thank you again for this bible plan i just wanted to say that too thanks um i think how you've done this and how you've pieced this together i've really as i've gone through these last few chapters i've really sensed that the Holy Spirit helped you oh, put it together good. for yeah. our church for this time. There so were plenty of times as I was doing it, I was saying, Holy Spirit help me because I was trying to blend a consistent amount of Bible reading through in a pas- in passages yeah. with the themes and I tried to walk that tightrope. But you know, not every chapter has something about that theme, but I think we've we've got a good blend. Yeah, I think it's a great um, a great way to read the Bible, whether you are a new Christian or a seasoned Christian, I think it is, um, yeah, it's been enlightening no matter what. Yeah, great. Uh, so I've really enjoyed it so far. And um, 
yeah, I hope that, that our listeners are enjoying it, but also have more questions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's about having question generated in your mind so that you can go and study it and learn for yourself. We're not trying to uh, provide all the answers. We're trying to put ideas and tips and tricks in place so that you can learn how to study it for yourself. Yeah, I think um, when it, where it says in the Word that the Word is written on our hearts, mm. on our hearts uh, this has really helped me see a new side of that, that passage. Yeah, um, to have the Word written on our hearts. Yeah. And I really s- saw that reflected in the first podcast as well, oh, that good. it was written on both you and at your heart and Jeannie's heart and that the conversation wasn't just um, religious, it was exciting and um, passionate Good, well. that's so what we wanted to get across, anyway, that the Bible is exciting. <laughs> so we've got 10 Very chapters good. to get yes, into so today let's as do well. It. So <laughs> keep let's do it. I could keep going on and on and no, on. That's great. But so let's just kick it off. Joshua 1. Joshua 1. Uh, this week we are talking about uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit and these 10 chapters. At first, I was a little confused, to be honest, Pastor Rowan. I was like, Joshua 1. What's that got which, to do with yeah, what's this, the Holy Spirit? <laughs> what has right. this got to do with it? Um, yeah. But as I kept reading, uh, it kind of made more sense to me. Yeah. But let's just start and we'll move sure. through and, uh, and have a conversation Great. about it. So Joshua 1, hopefully the, our listeners have read it. If not, read along with us now. Pause um, that recording. Pause the recording. Open go up and the Bible app on your phone, listen to it, then come back in. That's the idea with this podcast, right? Yep. To really study these scriptures and get more out of it. So Joshua 1, it's, uh, it starts off with that Moses, of the servant of the Lord, has, um, has spoken. So after the death of Moses, the so- servant of the Lord, sorry, has spoken to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Okay, so first of all, let's pause there. Moses has passed away. Yep. Um, where exactly are they right now? Where they are is they've spent 40 years in um, the wilderness, mm-hmm. uh, the time, uh, following the time of the exodus from Egypt, which is down south, and their promised land, land of Canaan, is sort of on the, sh- the, uh, eastern, sh- the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. And they are directly east of that. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, Mount Nebo, if you look at a Bible map, you'll see Mount Nebo somewhere. That's the uh, traditional place where Mm. Moses died. And so they are overlooking, in modern day Jordan, they're basically overlooking the land of Canaan, about to cross over. So their promised land is across the Jordan River to the east from where they, to the west from where they are. So towards Bethel, Benjamin. Uh, yes, exactly. All okay. of that, all yep. of that stuff. If you look at the plant, yep. Yeah. The map. So uh, right now, I personally am looking at a Bible that we have here at church, and it has a map. Yep. And I can see it, and it actually kind of helps paint that picture. Oh, so I encourage you definitely huge. look at it. It helps actually. Yep. Pull up a Bible map when you're reading most of the Old Testament. Good point, Amanda. It That's makes really more sense when you see it in front of you, as well as here. It yep. explained um, and as then Pastor still, just did. Get on a plane and come with me and actually be on the land and you get an even better feel for it because then you're actually 
there you can picture the the landscape the topography the yes. geography everything this yeah, i so. am excited about that um, yes all going we well. could do we a whole podcast we, on that too couldn't we, we? Yep, so. not do that now. but yes use a bible map in the short term yeah very good so um, they are about to enter into the promised land they are just on the west side the east side i always get it wrong they're on the east side of the jordan river about to head west yeah okay so moving on with this particular chapter Uh, Basically, God is saying that Joshua is now in command Mm -hmm. um, of this army. Yep. Uh, And he's telling us to, he's telling them that they're about to go into the promised land. Um, Should we pay attention to how many times he says, be strong and courageous and the Lord your God is with you? It's, what is it, about three or four times in this yeah, chapter? Yeah, yeah. So there's a key thing when you see something repeated like that. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So So when you're sitting down with your Bible, if you've got a paper Bible, not that I use them very much anymore, or even with the Bible app, you can highlight. Mm-hmm. So it's good to just go through. If you're, if you're doing a chapter and reflecting on it, then yes, go through and look for repeated words, repeated ideas, repeated themes. They are usually something that the Holy Spirit and the authors are wanting you to take notice of. Okay. Good. So, this particular passage, be strong and courageous, the Lord your God is with you. Obviously, he's just reiterating that part. Mm. But what does that mean to us? When we read this, should we be paying particular attention to that as we read this chapter? Or is it really just us, him saying he really wants him to know to be right. strong and courageous? So, this, be- this comes back to the question of how much do we personalise this? Yes. And we've talked about this in yes, previous exactly. episodes. The Bible is written for us, not to us. Yes. So, you know, God isn't saying these words to Amanda and Rowan in 2023. He is saying them to Joshua in about 1400 BC. Um, but they carry a, a personal weight for us. So they, they carry personal revelation for us because the, the word of God is living and active. So um, we can, in this story, we can see ourselves in, in, in Joshua's shoes. What, what God is saying to Joshua as he calls him to lead God's people into their destiny, into God's plan for their life. You and I, we have plans for our life. God has plans for our life, for our family, for our church, for our workforce, everything we do in, in life. And so therefore, we can take these words and we can apply them into our world. And I believe the Holy Spirit can enlighten that. And he would say, Amanda, be strong and courageous for I'm with you. Yeah, mm. very good. Awesome. Yep, absolutely. Okay. That's, that's, um, don't, don't separate it out and make it overly personal in the sense of ignore what it's saying to Joshua. You'll learn a lot from learning what God is saying to Joshua and to the Israelites at this time. But yes, you can and the Holy Spirit will enlighten something to you specifically as well. That's good. So, in Bible college, I remember something specific that was said to me, and it was, when you don't understand something, read before it and read after yep. it and try and get a bigger yeah, picture. Yeah, great. Right? Very important. So, I wanted to bring that up, but also before I ask this question, because why now? They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. That's yep. a long, long time, time, right? Yep. A whole generation. So, why? Yeah, exactly. Why now? Why Joshua and why not 40 years before? Okay, so you'll read about this in the book of Numbers. God's intention was that they would not spend 40 years in the wilderness. It's about a, I think, I think it tells us it's about a, a, a thir- 11 day journey or something like that mm-hmm. um, between the time they leave um, the, the, um, the Egypt and go forward into the promised land. But <laughs> 11 days. 11 days or something <laughs> like that, yeah. 11 um, days. 13 day journey or something. Wow. It, it was, it's not a long walk. No. You look at it on a map, it's not a long walk. Um, and they were supposed to go straight into the promised land. However, they 
uh, didn't make it. They, they sinned, they rebelled against God, they didn't follow his commandments. And as a result of their lack of faith and their unwillingness to trust God, that was why they ended up, this entire generation ended up in the wilderness mm. um, for, for, until their entire generation died out. So uh, God said, look, if you guys aren't going to take your promised land and you're saying, oh, you've brought us into the wilderness to die, we're hopeless, our children are going to die. And God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You guys haven't got faith. You've seen me cross, you've seen me part the Red Sea. You've seen me give you supernatural deliverance. But if you guys haven't got, your, got faith and you think that uh, your children aren't going to make it, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll actually leave you here and I'll actually let your children make it. Mm. And so Joshua and Caleb, there are only two men, two people, it tells us, that out of all of the generation that came out of, the, out of um, Egypt, the only two that actually live beyond this 40 years to enter into God's promise. So why 40 years? Because of that, that generation's lack of faith. Mm. They missed it. God's promises didn't give up. God's faithful. He says, okay, well, if you're not ready for it, I'll work with the people who are. Okay, so next question there following on from that is what was the difference between these people, this generation, yep. and the generation before? What did they change? What did they uh, do differently? Yeah. Was it a long 40-year journey to get them like that? Yeah. Or Yep. I mean, are we missing parts of the story here? Or did or did God just kind of go, okay, look, 40 years is enough. Let's just get <laughs> you in there and hope for the best. Well, he probably did, actually. This is the, you get into some of the, the deep philosophical questions about why God does certain things with certain people at certain times. And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all uh, answer for that. I think it's worth noting that we have had, we've talked about this a few times already, that God works with flawed humanity and continues to tell his story through flawed humanity. So... I would not presume to say there's a definitive reason why God said, okay, this lot, because let's face it, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people. Not every one of them is going to be totally on board with God. And, mm-hmm. and probably not every one of them, was, the last lot weren't. So um, I think God weaves his narrative into, the, into history, into the human narrative. Mm-hmm. We should also acknowledge that, and I've touched about this in an earlier episode as well, you should also acknowledge that this Bible in its current form was put together in the second temple period so the there's um authors that wove their story the authors hundreds of years later so a thousand years after this story is taking place it's forming up into its final plan and so there's little annotations and marks and they've put together the chapters in a certain way so that it tells they're looking backwards and going that story tells god's story of hope for the future mm. and so they are looking at it and they are seeing the fullness of time they are seeing this story fits the pattern yeah. Um, am I overcomplicating the answer there? No, not at all. No, no, that's good. I think really the Bible is the ultimate puzzle, right? It is. Well, it's, even when you say puzzle, it's interesting because we need to, we, we, you know, we turn the page. We turn the page from Deuteronomy 34 to Joshua 1. You talked about what goes before it and what mm. goes after it. We just turn the page in our Bible or, or you know, flick left in our Version Bible app. But that's actually a significant break in the Hebrew Scriptures. That's the end of the Torah and the beginning of what they call the Nevi'im, the writings, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's three parts in the Hebrew Bible. The Torah, the first five books of our Bible, the Nevi'im, which is the historical writings, and then the Ketuvim, which is the, the, um, the, the Psalms and the pro- some of the other scriptures, yeah. uh, Psalms and prophetic writings and so on. And they have these three different categories that are different to our Bible. Altogether, it's called the Tanakh. And the Je- Deuteronomy 34 is the end of the Torah, and Joshua 1 is the beginning of the Nevi'im. 
And oh. so these were actually, in their time, they were actually scrolls. They were actually separate yeah. scrolls. And if you actually look at Deuteronomy 34, which is interesting because uh, in one of our WhatsApp chats last night, Pastor Jeff was quoting Deuteronomy 34, the death of Moses. I'm glad you brought this up. Right, okay. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 34 is the last chapter in the Torah. Mm-hmm. This is the first chapter in the, um, in the Nevi'im. Now, if you actually read 34, Deuteronomy 34 and Joshua 1 together, you're going to see some interesting similarities. Right. First of all, you'll notice in Deuteronomy 34, there's this account of Moses dying. Yes. Right? Yeah. So who's, you look at it and go, hang on, isn't, didn't Moses write the Torah? Who, who, who's writing Yeah. This? So that's the first question, but, right? right? Like, yeah. So who, who's the writing? Biggest part. Who, how can Moses be writing about his own death? Yes. And it'll look even, it even goes further and it says something like, and to this day, nobody knows where his body is. So whatever, whatever this is being written, sometime in the future, they still don't know where Moses' body is. Mm. And I would say that it's worth noting that Deuteronomy 34 and Joshua 1, the end, of th- the end and the beginning, mm-hmm. were probably seamed up. They were written together by yes. a later author. Yes. Who's actually reflecting back and tying the whole story together. A bit like yes. if you're writing a book and then you send it to your editor and the editor says, change yeah. this. So it's yeah. been edited and put together to, ha- to tell a seamless story. Mm-hmm. And so we should read Deuteronomy 34 and Joshua 1 together. Yes, okay. Because it says, it starts with, Joshua 1 starts with, after the death of Moses. And a lot of the books of the Bible don't work like that. It's not uh, chronological. No, it's not chronological. But what you will see is that there are distinct links at the points at which the the major sections of the Hebrew Bible. There's a reason why they're together. And actually, you can, like you, can read, yeah. you can read Deuteronomy 34, you can read Joshua 1, you can read Malachi uh, the chapter 4, and you can read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 have been added. They're, not in, they're, not, they're different to Psalm 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They added Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 in the beginning to seam the whole thing together. Wow, which was, this is a good segue to the next chapter that we have to read which is someone Psalm Psalm one. absolutely um again when i saw joshua one and then i saw to read someone i was like hold on psalm yep. what before we jump to someone yep. so this concept i think the, the good thing we can one simple thing we can get out of joshua one practical for us mm-hmm. be strong and courageous is this this commandment that if we will trust him if we will meditate on his word there's this promise for joshua and for us of fruitfulness yes it says things like if you will do this you will be fruitful. Every place on which your foot yes. shall tread, I would given you. So there is this encouragement to us to st- stay strong, remember his word, trust in him, stay close to him. That's probably what I was getting at when I put Joshua 1 there. Yeah. And the end of Joshua 1 is anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. <laughs> Again, it says only be strong and courageous, but it's pretty like ruthless it's here. ruthless talk and yeah. i'll touch on that a bit more as we go move forward sure. with all of the other chapters however it's really do this and this is the consequence yep. sure. do this and this is the reward yes that's right it, and then just you'll see that a lot did you know 30 34 uh, no journey 28 a few chapters before the blessings and cursings that's very much a common theme okay. obedience is life yeah yeah this is so basically what I noticed with all of all of the Old Testament chapters that in this particular week was that there's this common theme, but it's also, it paints a little bit of a picture, the opposite of what we as Pentecostal Christians uh, know in the salvation right. story. Yes. We have this um, 
opposite to works and faith. Ah, I see. So it's like you're saying that it seems to be painting a picture that um, your faithfulness and your obedience and your good life and the, your behaviour will bring success. Mm-hmm. And as Pentecostals, as Protestant Christians, we teach that no salvation is by faith through grace and not and works. not dependent. Okay. Yes. So, so really my, my point was that we're read, if you read just the Old Testament scriptures that are in this week, you're going to miss the whole picture. Yep. Right? Yep. And you will probably end up thinking that it's all about good works. Mm. Okay. The flip side of that is you become a, a believer who understands salvation by grace and then you ignore the importance of good works. And we filter out all the good works scriptures out of the New Testament a lot of the time without even realizing we're doing it. Yeah. Jesus... Jesus actually says the same stuff as Joshua, as God says to Joshua 1. He says mm. um, things about your behavior and your act and the way you conduct yourself and yeah. the way you obey my commandments. If you remain in me and obey my commandments, you mm. will have life. Well, hang on a second. Jesus, aren't I supposed to be saved by grace? Mm. So we need to wrestle with the whole salvation by grace versus good works thing. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to we'll that again that as we read, as we go through Second Peter chapters. Yes. Um, okay, great. Later on as well. But that's Joshua 1. That's Joshua 1. Galatians 5 uh, is the New Testament chapter for uh, this day that we read alongside Joshua 1. Um, Galatians 5 is something that we learn and read in, uh, read in Sunday school. The fruit um, of the Spirit. For, for us uh, 90s Christians. Yes. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And the so- I mean, song, I shouldn't say 90s because I still teach those songs to my kids. <laughs> and I'm sure they still do those sorts of things in, um, in kids' church these days. But it, it, it's a good one. Uh, but it's also very confusing because, I mean, first of all, it talks about circumcision. Yes. Um, which is, you know, a weird subject to talk about these days. Um, but it's not really, we're not really going to talk about circumcision, but really what it means. So, sure. first of all, rather than getting into the nitty gritty of of that, what does it mean for us today? I know we, we read the Bible, you've said that we read the Bible as it's to someone else, but... For us. For yeah, us. This is a good example of that. This is a good yeah. example of that. However, for us, what does it mean? Sure. I think is the best question yep. to ask you. Yeah. I think I may have touched on this in a previous episode about the letter of Galatians. If I haven't, forgive me. We will at some point. But Galatians is a good example of a letter that Paul wrote for a specific purpose. I think I touched on this with Kenny, but you wouldn't have heard that yet. Um, the, letter, the letter of Galatians, Paul was addressing a major issue in the church, which, was, which in their case was the issue of... Um, the, how Jewish a person had to be in order to be considered a Christian. And circumcision was one of those key signs of Jewishness. And so a group of people were saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised and obey all the laws of Moses. And Paul was in sharp dispute with them and saying what we were just previously saying a couple of minutes ago. No, no, it's not about your works. It's not about whether you're obeying certain rules. You're, you're saved by grace through faith. And so he came into quite sharp dispute with them. And so for them, the context was, Circumcision and obeying the law um, was the sign of Christianity or the sign of being in God's family. So the question we do, that was written to them, written for us, what does it mean for us? And I think the way to recognise this is the same question still still exists. Like, what does it actually mean to be accepted in God's family? 
What does it mean to be one of God's children? Do you have to look a certain way? Do you have to be a certain ethnicity? Do you have to behave a certain way? Do you have to be from a certain socioeconomic group? Do you have to have certain behaviours in order? And so if we do that, we've taken it and have elaborated the circumcision into the modern context. And I think that question is as relevant in the 21st century as it was in the first century. Yes, definitely. So for someone who is just picking up a new Bible, new Christian, they've been handed something, which Galatians is in that little red book that we, yep. you know, we get the handed. The Bible. That, which is that Jeannie touched on as well yep. in the first episode. That's just the New Testament. And so someone that's been handed that could open this and go, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and they would, yeah. Am I, am, I, am I doing the wrong thing by, am I, it's something that you can't turn around and change, but how are they supposed to know that this isn't actually talking about circumcision circumcision okay um so that's <laughs> an a that's odd topic a, to talk well, about really. an odd topic. Look, that's a really good question and th- th- there are different levels of how god works with his scripture um you don't need to know everything this is the remarkable thing about god's word god god illuminates the spirit of god illuminates his word so a person can pick up a bible for the first time and god can speak to them through that at a level of revelation that just makes sense to them mm. now some of the more liberal Bible scholars will think that's not possible, that you need to dig into it completely to get revelation. I don't believe that. I believe God can speak to, and the story of the Bible is God meeting humans where they're at and telling his story through them and to them and for them, for, for them through the limitations of their understanding. So a brand new believer, a person who's just seeking faith, can open up a Bible and God can speak to them. What happens is as we mature in faith, there's an open invitation to go deeper and then to go, well, what's this circumcision thing about? And then study and ask questions and drill in and mine in and get deeper riches. So it's like the, the way I like to think of it is, it's like when it comes to the Bible, there are different layers of riches. Sometimes you walk along and the, 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 the gold or the, the fancy you know, precious stones are just lying on the ground. You just walk past, <laughs> picked up a here's, a, here's a beautiful emerald right here. But that shouldn't be, we should realize that that emerald on the surface is an invitation to get out your shovel and start digging. And as you do, you'll find even deeper riches. Amen to that. That's great. I love that analogy. That's awesome. Um, Okay, well, in saying all of that, let's start kind of moving through the chapter. Um, The first verse, for example, uh, straight away it says, do not be subject again to to a yoke of slavery or um, do not get tied up again in slavery to the law. If we look back at the Old Testament chapters, we see um, we see that they are they need to obey the law, and yep. in the New Testament, we're saying don't get tied up in it. Yeah. Okay. Good question. Well, oh, I think I know where you're going, but let me, let me ask the question first. Well, I guess that is the question, yeah. even though it's not really a question. It's more more a uh, uh, let's start. I think what you're saying is, how do we ref- how do we reconcile a command we just read Joshua one? Uh, yes. Did not let this book of the law depart from your exactly your mind day and night. Meditate on it. Yes. Be careful to do everything it says. And then in Galatians five, it seems to be saying, don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Which one is it? it can you, is it either or? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as someone that if someone was to pick up this Bible plan and start reading, they would read that and then they would read this and go, hold on, what do you want me to yeah. do here? Okay. So they What's s- the right? So they seem to 
apparently seem to contradict one another. Yes. Okay, at first glance, you read it and think one saying obey the law, one saying don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Yes. It almost sounds like the same thing. So which one is it? Okay. Yes. So that's an invitation not to put the Bible down to go, wait, what? This is all too hard. Put it down. That's yes. an invitation into deeper study. And look, my understanding of the concept of the Old Testament law has developed in the last few years. I was, I was a Christian and a pastor for many years and I would look at this and go, wait, what? Oh, no, ignore that. It just doesn't fit. In more recent years, I've started to study this whole concept of the law and what that means. And, and I can now reconcile this. So a simple way to look at that is, notice that Paul says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, I don't know about you, but at face value, I would think that's saying, don't obey the law. Don't worry about obeying the law because that's, um, that's not what he's telling you. Don't, don't try and obey the law because you're going to get in bondage to the law. You're not going to be free from the law, right? And yet we've just read obey the law in Joshua. So I wonder if maybe slavery to the law is different to obedience to the law. Are you tracking with me? Ah, I love that. Two different words, right? Yeah. Obey and slave. Yeah. Right. So the problem that they had was they had become enslaved to the law because they fell for this understanding or this thought that obedience to the law meant they had to... Um, follow every aspect of the law, letter by letter, to follow it to the letter of the law. Mm. Um, they, they were almost reading it like we would say case law in today, where a lawyer pulls all their books and books and books off their shelf, and our legal system works on case law. The Old Testament law is not case law. And that, they had turned it into case law. If it says this, it says, you know, don't work on the Sabbath. They would go, well, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? And they come up with a whole lot of rules about what it meant to work on the Sabbath and what it didn't. And you could do this and you couldn't do that. And you can't boil water and you can't tie your, your ox up and all this kind of stuff. They made all these rules about what it meant. Can you see how quickly that becomes slavery? It is. To the law. Yeah, definitely. But that's not obedience. See, it sounds like a burden. It's it a sounds burden. like something that's way too hard. And so Jesus and actually says that. He, he, he rebuked the Pharisees. He says, you, you yourselves weigh people down with burdens. Mm. So that makes me think, okay, that's not what obedience to the law in Joshua 1 means. What does yeah. it mean to obey the law? And that's where I've journeyed back now and I reread and it's brought the Old Testament laws to life because now I go, it's not about, a, when it says obey the Sabbath, it's not about me rest, wrestling with a whole lot of rules of do's and don'ts. It's about what's God revealing about himself to me in a law or a Torah. The Torah actually doesn't, law is a, probably a pretty bad translation. Uh, I don't know why we use that because we think law, we think case law. Torah means instruction. I'm glad you said that because that was one of my questions as well. What is law? Law. So the Explain Old Testament word is Torah, is. and yeah. it means instruction. So when mm. we hear obey the Sabbath, um, we should be thinking, we should we should be thinking, what does that mean for me? What does it mean? What is God telling me about Himself? What might I, how might my life be improved by um, obeying the Sabbath? Or an ex an example, Paul does this himself. Uh, I don't think it's in Galatians, but it might be. He says he quotes he quotes the Old Testament law where it says, "Do not tre tre uh, muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain." That seems like a really practical scripture, right? Mm. It's in Corinthians, I think it is. Don't muzzle an ox. In other words, don't put a muzzle over an ox while it's treading out the grain. Leave it off so it can eat some of the produce. Mm. And, the, and the Apostle Paul says, "Do you think Moses was just talking about oxen when he said that?" Could he be talking about a, a bigger principle? 
Maybe he's talking about ministers and he's saying it's actually those, those who participate in the work should be able to eat from the work. So he actually says maybe the principle applies to Christian ministers who should be able to eat some of the produce of if they're giving you spiritual food, they should have some resource to eat natural food. Can you see how he has taken what could be just a letter of the law thing and dug into it and found a, a spiritual principle out of it that leads to a better life? Yeah, right. That's that is the difference between obedience to the law and slavery to the law. Paul would say, don't get enslaved with rules and do's and don'ts, but let the law bring life to you because you find what God is all about in that law. And that's freedom. Actually, it's the opposite of, of slavery. It's freedom. The law is supposed to bring you freedom, not death. Yeah, yeah. Freedom, freedom is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Yes. Because right when you when you look, and, and and right here, yes, when you look at the law and not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the ins and outs of what it goes on forever. I don't know how they would remember it. Like now, we have lawyers that go through yes, our absolutely. case law and yep. our, our government yep. law for years and years yep. and years and years and study it, and they still don't know yep. it off the top of their heads. Nah. How do these people? Well, they went deeper. They had six hundred and thirteen laws in the in the Torah, and then they went and turned it into. By the time of Jesus, they've written, uh, and in the century following, they have they've comp written an entire commentary on those 613 laws which is like thousands of laws so very much they've turned it into case law it's it's a huge hurdle to try it's a huge mountain to try and climb yeah. really yeah. it's no wonder they thought that it was like slavery no wonder yeah. it felt like yeah. slavery and that this word here as you said before written for them and for to them and for, for us, us yep to them, that made sense because yeah. it was almost unachievable. Yes, and, and Jesus would seem to say you're burning them down with it. That's not the intention. The law is summed up in love God and love your neighbour. Mm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those sorts of things are the summary of the law. But that doesn't mean that we just completely disregard no, it's an all open of those things, it's an open invitation right? to, I would say it's an open invitation to go back and look at some of those Old Testament laws and know, hey, the lens here is... They are trying to tell me ways to love God and love my neighbour. Mm. How is this law, this particular law in Numbers 33 or whatever it is, how is that telling me to love God and love my neighbour? Mm, okay. So rather than going through those 613, 613? I think it's, yeah, some say 611, 613, but it depends on how you read them. Anyway, 600 lots. plus yep. lots of laws and picking them apart and going, okay, that I won't obey this one, but this one doesn't make sense yep. anymore. And this, yep. just look at each one if you wanted to really get yes. into yep. it and study it. Yep. Look at each one through that lens of love your God and love your neighbour yep. and try and make sense of that, which kind it? of brings us to the Holy Spirit conversation yeah, because there's no way that we could do that good without the help of the Holy Spirit, yeah, good right? Call. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly good. good point. Because this Bible, it was, it is so complex. Like I said before, it's like the biggest, most complex puzzle ever. There is no way that we could really read it and understand it as a whole without the help yeah, of the Holy Spirit, yeah, that's right? That's right. He is the supreme author, uh, second, second Timothy. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he, he ties it all together. He inspires the writers in a way to tell the story. The Lord tells his story through, those, through his partnership with human authors. Yeah. Mm. Which kind of brings me to the next part of Galatians 5 mm -hmm. that I have a question about living by the Spirit. So I might 
just read the actual part. Sure. Um, Verse 16 thereabouts, is it? But I say, walk by spirit and you by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So living by the spirit, what does that actually mean to yeah. live by the spirit? Yeah. Because after, you know, after 30 years, you might just know what living by the spirit means. However, there could be yeah. people that don't really understand yeah, what that yeah, means. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of a nutshell of what it means to actually live by the yep. Spirit. Someone who's never read the, never Bible, read the before Bible before yep, sure. could go, what, that sounds like a you know, Sixth Sense movie or something. Yeah, like, what sure. is that? Yeah, and, and plenty of people have read that that way and think that, that living by the Spirit is some kind of weird, spooky thing where their head's in the clouds and they, it's just them and, them and God and they end up on tr- off track saying God said exactly. things to them that, the, that are contrary to Scripture or contrary to what God would have for them. So this concept of walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, it's very big to the Apostle Paul. If you just Google that concept in the number of times that he says that, he's all through his letters. It was a real significant revelation to him. And in this context, he's saying, if you, let, if you walk in the Spirit, if you, you let the Spirit guide you, your lives, you find yourself walking the right way and not the wrong way. He says in the NLT, you won't end up doing what your sinful nature desires. You'll end up living for God. So that's, there's obviously something, we all want that, don't we? We, we all want to yeah. live God's way. So what does that look like? Well, what does walking in the Spirit look like? And I think the Apostle Paul would say that it's a combination of a number of things. For me, walking in the Spirit means I need to, um, how do I find out about Jesus and the Spirit of God? I find out through prayer, through uh, study of His Word, through things like this, not just studying His Word, but actually talking about His Word in community. Uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a lost practice in the 21st century church. But throughout, the Jews still do this today, and, and throughout the early New Testament, they read Scripture in the church, and then they talked about it. The closest thing we would have is Bible studies and discussions. So we actually, walking the Spirit can be as practical as opening up the Bible and saying, let's, what we're we doing now, let's read this chapter and talk about it and grow. So walking the Spirit can be practical like that. It comes in community, comes through reading God's Word, it comes through spending time with Him singing and prayer and my own relation, personal time with Him. All of those things all come together to say what I think Paul is meaning to live a Spirit-filled, walking in the Spirit life. And I think you did actually mention something very similar in the last few episodes um, of this podcast. And I think it's important to highlight that it's just as important here as in the last two episodes sure. it's related it's related to each of these topics that we've talked about those those things that you've mentioned right. reading the word of god in community yep. worship and prayer time yep. it's it all it's all important and that's uh, walking people, and living by the where spirit people get this wrong is when they pick up one of those and go off on a tangent and ignore the others oh i don't really need the church because it's just me and jesus and yeah. i just spend time with god that's shaky and it's leading to a shaky faith. But at the same time, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and you just think, oh, I just come to church and listen to a sermon, I don't open my Bible up week to week, or I don't spend any time in prayer with him, that's just as shaky. I think on a holistic view, back to Joshua 1, meditate mm. on the law of the Lord, spend time with God's people, you know, chew it over. That's yeah. the word. Read it out aloud. Yes. All of those things are what will give you fruitfulness. Yeah. And in that sense, that's how we get fruitfulness in Galatians 5, but that's how Joshua was supposed to get fruitfulness, meditating yeah. on God's law, staying close to him, 
staying in intimate relationship with him. That's something I actually really noticed as I was doing, preparing for this, reading this. It's so much different when you start writing down your questions and writing down things that you've noticed and then it all kind of comes together like this beautiful picture. Yeah, it's happened. And it's really helped me understand more of these chapters. Great. But then talking about it again, it's it's exciting me. Yep. It's exciting my spirit and it's actually helping that written on your heart part that I was talking oh, about at the start man. of this of this day because I think it's it's more than just reading it and memorizing it. It's the doing power, this the is, power yeah. of doing it in community. So yes. if you're listening to this, you know, we would encourage you to get into a small group, get into a, yes. a connect group or a, a gathering at our church or, or find, a, find a church where you can get in and actually do the outworking of your faith, reading, learning, challenging one another. That is one of the best ways to grow. I think we all learn very differently, but I, me personally, I found that getting a book and a pen yep. and writing this down as I went along and then coming back over it and writing it again and, yeah, great. and really coming th- through that has brought a whole new level of study. And, yeah, and I think Kenny did it too. This is actually Kenny's notebook Kenny's notes, here. It? <laughs> it was Same the book. the front of the yep. book says, Kenny's don't touch, and then he handed <laughs> it to me. And now it says, Amanda's, uh, I'm touching. And now it's got my scribbles all yeah, over great. it, so I'm sorry, Kenny. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anyway, I think that's, um, yeah, it's a really good tool to have. Great. So, continuing on with this chapter, faith, it says in here, faith expressing itself in love. What do you think that actually looks like? We are talking about, uh, which verse are we talking about there? Uh, um, faith expressing itself in love. It'll be in those last few yes, verses. Yes, after that one. I didn't write the verse down. I'm so sorry. It's all right. We could. Because you've got Galatians five twenty two, which is five twenty three, which is the twenty two and twenty three is the famous fruit mm. of the spirit. Yeah, I've started those writing that over here. Cro- so it's before that, is it? I think what counts? So. It, he says, what counts is faith expressing itself through love. Is exactly right. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Verse seventeen, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants, and the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Those two forces are constantly fighting against each other, and you find that you can't carry on what you desire. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to follow some slavery to the law of Moses, is what he's saying. And then he lists a whole lot of fruit, some results of sinful nature. All these impure, lustful thoughts, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, anger, etc. And then he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit and says, but if you live this way, you'll actually bring out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm. goodness, faithfulness. Those things will naturally grow out of you. Um, so I'm not sure. I can't even see that, but I know it's there. Why have I written? It's it's there. It might be in it might be in Galatians six. Is it? What no, was, let's have a look. Still. What's um, what counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'm just going to Google that. What counts is is that what it says? Isn't it faith? Mm. Can we expre- pause? No, it's all right. We don't oh. have to pause. We'll just carry. On. We're Galatians just going to keep going. Six. Is that it? Galatians five six. 
right back at the start? Yeah, that must be it. That's why we missed it because it's earlier in the chapter. Uh, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no yeah, benefit yep. in being circumcised. Or yeah, there it is. It is. That's it. it what is important is, is faith, faith expressing, expressing itself, itself in love. Yeah, Here okay. we go. So, that's why. So let's put, it in, let's put it in its context. He's talking to a group of people who have been told there's all kinds of rules that they have to obey in order to be yeah. a Christian. He's going, look, none of that really matters. Yes. What really matters is that if you want to see what really marks you as one of God's children, mm-hmm. your faith should be worked out through one thing. What's that? Love. Love. So if you're expressing love to others, that will be a natural byproduct of your faith. And he's going to build on that later on, and he's going to show that it's actually love, joy, peace, patience, kind of all that fruit of the Spirit. Yes. That is the thing. He's saying against those things, there's no law, because those things are a byproduct of a Spirit-filled life. Yeah, that's good. Okay. I knew there was a good reason why I put that yeah. there. That's really yeah. good. Okay, so the fruits of the Spirit, moving on to back to those, um, those fruits of the Spirit. When we see the opposite things, opposite of these in our life, yep. does that mean that we aren't living by the Spirit? So, for example, yep. self-control. Yep. Like when you there the opposite is, of self-control. Well, yep. self-control, for example, uh, if there's a packet of Tim Tams right here, I'm going to eat them all. Right. Um, I have zero self-control. Somehow I I think the self-control he's talking about is deeper than whether we get Tim Tams. Yes, I know, I know. But just as an example, like self-control or I don't know, if I get angry at someone and not show them love. Yep. Does that mean I'm not walking in the spirit? Yes. Okay, so theologians question this whole concept of of what it means. What's the difference between being a sinner and being a saint? And um, I've heard it put... Recently, somewhere, I, I can't remember where I, where I heard this recently, but it was it was a really, a really good thought that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, our nature, our our sinful nature, is still there, mm-hmm. but it should be more and more, or less and less prevalent. I should put it that way. It should be less and less prevalent. It's not that you don't still struggle with that, but if you're growing in your relationship with God the spirit life is overtaking the flesh life now for a new christian what does it mean by flesh it means the sinful nature the old translations will say the flesh it doesn't mean it doesn't mean our actual physical flesh but it's a picture of the things that the desires of this the natural cravings of of our flesh mean our our human desires that are unhealthy and destructive Mm -hmm. it's a metaphor for that and paul would say here that closer you say to the spirit the more I would like to see you living out of those fruit of the Spirit as opposed to the list that he gives in, in verse 20, three verses before, which is all um, destructive human behaviours. Yes. So yes, you are still going to have times where you will live out of those destructive human behaviours. But if you can look at your life and stay close to God, then what will happen is over time, your Spirit-filled life will be more prevalent than your sinful nature life and yeah. i often draw a little graph for people and i say what you should be if you you know if the, if the high point on the graph represents your spirit-filled life and the low point on the graph represents your your self selfish nature your sinful nature life what should happen over time is you should spend more time at the top of the graph and less time at the bottom of the graph and also too uh the amount of time you spend in your sinful nature. let's take anger for instance so anger as a as a selfish sinful nature a hypothetical might be, as a brand new Christian, you have a problem where you get angry for an hour a day. An hour every day, you're just angry and frustrated with everybody. Um, as you mature in Christ, you might get five years down the track. 
you're not angry for an hour a day. You're angry for half an hour every week. So you're still getting angry, but you're not staying as angry for a long, and it's not happening as long, for as often. It's the frequency and the amount of time that you live above the line as to below the line. And if you can look back over your life, and you can go, well, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. Mm. That's a sign of I'm growing in my faith. Will we ever get to full growth? Have you ever heard the mathematical equation about how long does it take a frog that jumps half the distance to a wall to reach the wall every time? If I start with a frog that's 10 metres from a wall, how many t- jumps is it going to take before it reaches the wall if each time it jumps half as far as it did the time before? A long time, right? It'll never reach it. It'll never reach it because it's only half, 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 half. Yep. Ah. But the distance becomes so infinitesimally small that it doesn't, it's, it's basically regarded as obsolete. Um, yeah. That's okay. what it's like in our Christian life. We should be able to look back and go, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. And each time I'm getting closer and closer and there's m- I'm more and more looking like Christ. But there'll come a time in the future. The answer is no, we'll never get there fully until our sinful nature is taken away at the resurrection. At the resurrection. We could completely segue there but let's not <laughs> we're not I'll talking l- about the resurrection today. i feel like um the word segue has used been used a lot <laughs> in this podcast so far because <laughs> i keep um, going off on segues <laughs> and genie and probably me my brain wants to yeah. but i'm going to try and um keep it keep sure. it on topic um oh wow i had so many questions as you were saying that but i think as a whole with galatians 5 it's I guess it's probably the most important chapter that it's, we read this week. It's the pivotal chapter this week and particularly verses 20, uh, 22 and 23. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the pivotal chapter uh, that you would do well to spend time in. Yeah, and spend time in it, but don't... I think it's important to say don't condemn yourself yeah. um, because we're going to talk a bit more about grace. We are. Um but so one yeah. final thought is if you're really struggling with this and you're feeling like oh, I'm a failure, read Romans chapter 7. I'm not going to go there now, but Romans chapter 7 is mm. the Apostle Paul expressing this own feeling that you're experiencing. He's going, I want to do the right thing and I keep doing the wrong thing. The things I want to do, I hate doing. What a wretched man I am, ho- hopeless. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Oh, Jesus does. Thank you. Uh. So in a nutshell, we all struggle with this tension between wanting to do the right thing and falling short. Mm. The grace of God is always extended to say, come on, get back up, have another go. Mm, That's good. Okay, Psalm 1. When I first read this, I read it wrong. It was like I was slightly dyslexic and i read oh the joys of who follow the advice of the wicked oh, and i went that. whoa what? That, <laughs> what have i just what have i just read that's not a wait what that i can really help you with no that's just no a case you've got Re- to read it read now. it again <laughs> read it again oh the joys oh the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers but they delight in the law of the lord meditating on it day and night. Here's that, that law of the yep. Lord concept again. Okay, so let me just re- reiterate what we just said. This has been added in. This psalm mm. has been chosen to bridge between uh, the, the section two, mm-hmm. the Nevo'im, and section three, the Ketuvim. So wow. you will actually see, if you read Joshua 1 and Psalm 1, 
it's all the same stuff. It's, it's, the same. it's been written at the same time. Yeah, You've actually right. gone, you know, it's talking about the same thing. Delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That God said exactly the same thing to Joshua. So who wrote Psalm 1 then? So it was, it was probably, we don't know for certain, it may have already been existing as a psalm. And then the authors later on have come along and decided, oh, that, that will really be a good scene in between the books. Okay. Or it could be that they actually wrote it deliberately at, at the time to sew this story together. Okay, so David didn't write no, Psalm da- 1. No, in fact, David wrote most of the psalms in the first book of the psalms. There's 43 v- psalms in book one, I think, of yep. the psalms. And most of them start with a heading. Start with a heading, You'll yeah. notice in your Bible it'll say the Psalm of David or whatever. There's, I think there's Psalm 10 or something, which is a bit of a rabbit hole. That's different Yeah. That, as to why that wasn't there. But Psalm 1 and 2 don't have these headings. Yeah. These Psalms were definitely inserted purposefully. Right. To tell a story, to remind you, you're about to, you're about to move into a new set of writings, mm-hmm. prophetic, sorry, uh, proverbs and, and wisdom literature and songs. We want you to remember that if you will meditate on this, this will be good for you. This will bring fruitfulness yes. to your life. Okay, that's good. And here's that word again, fruitfulness. Yes. Uh, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wi- never wither and they prosper in all they do. This seems to be a bit of a theme amongst all of the Old Testament chapters this week. Yep. Um, this They all mention something or most of them mention Something about living water or planted by the water and the fruit that's born from that. Um, But it also seems to be really the strong theme here seems to be like, do this and you will get that fruit, like I said before. Um, So, yeah, let's continue on with... This is all Eden language, by the way. Eden language, yes. Again, relating to what you were talking about with Jeannie a couple of episodes ago... um, this Eden language about, you know, about fruit and, and trees and life, and, trees, life and all that sort of thing. Yep. All of this water. You should be loading up Genesis 1, 2 and 3 into your mind when you're reading Psalm 1 and Joshua 1. Wow. Okay. So how would someone else know that without listening to this podcast? Is it just... Uh, you could find out from reading scholars and commentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Could. Okay. But treat this as an invitation to do that. I, I, yeah. I didn't come up with this. Yeah, this that's This is stuff good. that scholars talk about over time and I've learned over time. Yeah, so um, bearing fruit each season but delighting in the law of the Lord, is this the opposite of Jesus? Is this, Jesus talks about how he is the vine and we are the branches. Is this the opposite by being planted in the law, the opposite of what Jesus Am if, I getting into yes, too much here? No, Am I you're jumping not. ahead? We sort of touched on it. Let me see if yeah. I can give a simple thought on what comes to mind. Um, it's back to the slavery issue. Yes. If we are enslaved by the law and think that by the law somehow uh, some uh, some radical rules and do's and don'ts are going to get us um, fruitful, then yes, there's a problem. But remember, Jesus said things like, "Don't think I've come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfil the law." Yes. So Jesus is the law on legs. Yeah, wow. Okay. I like that, the so law on the legs. The law on legs. So, <laughs> so, when, so when we look at the law, we should see Jesus. Yeah. The problem is we don't. We, we too easily see a bunch of rules and, rules and regulations, but that was never its intention. The law is there to show you what God is supposed to be like and to compare ourselves with it and realize we aren't what we should be. That's how the law should work. Mm. It should be instruction to say, you want to aspire to live this way? You're only going to be able to do that in relationship with the Spirit of God. So Jesus is the law on legs. He's not, it's not count, count contradictory. Mm-hmm. Your question was, does this 
contradict. I actually think it's it actually fits Compliments. together perfectly. Complements that. Complements is better than contradicts. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out for someone was that, and basically all of these chapters in the Old Testament this week is that it does talk a lot about shame and destruction and dismay and questioning the word of the Lord and what that leads to. Um, like, for example, um, they are like worthless sh- chaff. This is the, this is yeah, the, the, this the is contrast of the opposite of yeah, this is scattered by the wind. Yep. Yeah, they will be condemned at yep. the time of judge at the time of judgment. Yep. So even that confused me as well because they it seems like like what I said before about it how it paints this different picture of who God is. Yeah, right. And how do we see that God is love? When we read things like this, like that he's condemnation, he's, they'll be condemned and they'll yeah. be judged and sinners, sinners will have no place among the godly for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. We, how do we pull out God's love when we just read that? Does that I, make sense? Yes, it does. Not sorry, not pull I, out. I shouldn't. I should rephrase that. How do we reconcile God's reconcile love and see God's love in this God's when we're just reading? Great question. That's really one where you go, wait, what? Yes, so, right. Okay, so I, I would say that we we could very easily fall into. I think I might have touched on this with Kenny or somewhere previously. We could easily fall into this sense of God is just a God of love and not a God of justness and rightness and uh, truth. Mm-hmm. And if we have that mentality, and that's very easy to do in a Western world where we live a relatively comfortable life, and we just go, oh, we just, God loves everybody. God will just accept everyone right where they're at. That sounds quaint, and it sounds like the kind of person, God, that you want to worship, right? Mm. But in reality, you also, if you're honest, we also want a God who just who judges wrongdoing Mm. none of us want to live in a world where everyone is free to do whatever they want where everyone um because the moment we start to define what's right for us it's usually at the expense of what's right for someone else and so i go i just want to i just want to have what i want sounds good god wants me to be happy yes but my happiness is often not, not always but more often than not will come at your expense because I will have to take for myself to get myself happy, whether that's uh, financial, material, um, attitude, power, authority. I'll take for myself, and it's at the expense of others. That's the human story. That's what God is talking about here. And when he is saying, if you're wicked, those who don't meditate on God's law, who don't love others as God has loved them, who don't live according to those principles, they will come under God's judgment. And if we're honest, we want that. Mm. I don't know about you. I don't want to live in a world where there is oppression, where the rich oppress the poor, the powerful oppress the weak. That's the story of human nature. And God would say, you'll come under judgment at some point if you'll do that. I don't want to live in a world like that. But if I look inwardly, I'm guilty of that okay. myself in my own heart. I, it sounds great to say, oh, yes, I'm one of these ones in Psalm 1 who obeys and stays in the, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, follow the law, follow, doesn't follow the advice of the wicked and doesn't hang out with sinners and doesn't join in with mockers. My delight's in the law of the Lord. But if I'm honest, there are times when I don't do that. Yeah. And the end result of that was I will um, bring judgment upon myself. Yeah. And 
God does that to put right the wrongs of this world. He can't bring the rightness of the world without judging the wrongness of the world. Yeah, that's good. Is that confusing you? No, not at all. Um, I think it makes more sense as we continue to talk about it and continue to read these. Like I said before, we keep... I may ask a few similar Similar questions questions. to the previous podcast, but it's important to reiterate that because... All of these, uh, all of these chapters are all connecting That's together. It. The whole Bible connects together to tell us yes, things. Yes, yes, yes. So I think, I think to, to, we shouldn't think that the justice of God is necessarily somehow opposed to the love of God. I think that's how, for a lot of us um, evangelicals and Protestants, it was set up when you hear the salvation message. Oh, well, God is 100% just and he's 100% love and he has to do something with his justice. So he poured out his justice upon Jesus and now you can have the love because God wants, if it was just God who's loved, then everyone would get saved. If God was just holy and just, then no one would get saved. God has a problem. What does he do with it? He sends Jesus. I think that's a very oversimplistic answer. I actually think the justice of God and the love of God are not necessarily polar opposite. I think only a loving God, a, a true loving God has to be a just God as well. Like a parent, right? That's a good you example. You don't just let yep. your kids get away with everything. Because you know it's not good for them ultimately. And ultimately. It's not good for society. You correct them in their ways because yep. you want them to grow and yep. learn and become, yep. you know, decent human beings, yep. right? And, and, <laughs> and if a child doesn't, um, let's say, a, you know, a child commits a crime, mm-hmm. a, a godly parent would expect, wouldn't try and, gloss over that crime they might say hey i love you now you gotta live with the consequences if you go to jail i'll come visit you and i love you but it's still important because you've hurt other people now you need to live with the consequences of that that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're not a loving parent just because you follow through on justice yeah they're not polar opposites to one another i don't think you can have a truly loving god unless that god is also a just god yeah i mean you want to protect your kids and you want to love them but yeah yes you also want them to and god wants that for his creation yeah, yeah, which um, Jeremiah 17 kind of touches on Judah's sin and punishment and God being angry and he talks about blazes like fire that will burn, um, <laughs> which it, which gets a little bit like graphic here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's almost like, you know, a blockbuster movie really, but he repeats this tree planted on a riverbank yeah, there it imagery is again. again there it is again. it's um, a very common narrative in Jew, in the jewish scriptures and it's supposed to be this sense of the tree of life it's supposed to be you find life and fruitfulness in relationship with god mm. um which is which is pretty amazing that he still said you know he's after all of that he still said come come to me right yes yeah for sure uh, verse 10 in Jeremiah, moving through um, Jeremiah still. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Again, this theme, this sounds common theme, it? it sounds judgmental. And it, I guess it really is the same sort of question yep. from from before it seems like this you do the wrong thing and you're going and you know you're going to get what you deserve um but stay planted in the word and in the law and on the riverbank yep and the living water will flow yep yeah the whole we talked about it in previous episodes jesus talking about being the vine and staying close to him Mm -hmm. so the end result of not living that way god's looking at our secret motives verse 10 and the end result is What's going on inside our heart is going to manifest itself. 
So whether or not God is giving people their due rewards, as in bringing judgment, or whether or not judgment is a natural byproduct of selfish living. Yeah. It could be either, or it probably is both. We see that a lot. Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about how God handed them over to a delusion. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's almost like you get to a point where you, you decide you don't want to follow God, and God will go, okay, have it your way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's C.S. Lewis, I think it was, that famously said something like, um, uh, either we will say, God, thy will be done, or God will say, okay, thy will be done. Mm. In other words, we either choose to do God's will or God will say, I'll leave you to do your own will because yeah. he's, he's gracious like that. He'll, he says, I'll leave you to choose your own will. Yeah, and he gave us free will. He uh, gave us free will. That's why he longs to be in a relationship with us yeah. because relationship is a two-way street. Two-way um, street, relation, relationally, yep. Uh, I had someone ask me this week, why, why did God make us if, if he knew that, we were, we were going to stuff gonna, it up. Yeah, we were going <laughs> to stuff it up. Exactly. Um, and you I know s- your own kids are going gra- to graciously stuff it up, but you still want to have relationships, so you, you bring kids w- into the world. You don't want them to be clones of you. No. You just want them... Yep. Same reason. Yeah, same sort of thing, right? Yep, yep for sure. And they have free will. Yep. Uh, to make their own choices and do their own things and be their own people and you want to see them learn and grow, but you also want to be in relationship yep. with them. Yep, for sure. Um, verse 11 in Jeremiah, just kind of grouping it all together because it's very similar. But verse 11, uh, it talks about, it starts with, like a partridge that hatches eggs she has not laid, so are those who get their wealth by unjust means. At midlife, they will lose their riches in the end and they will become poor old fools. Why does it start this, I guess, this passage in Jeremiah 17 with a bit of a proverb um, almost like a proverb it's about riches. Like a proverb, yep. Yeah, it's word almost like a proverb, yep. but then it goes, it almost changes. It's like it, it changes subject completely, almost. But we worship at your throne, eternal, high, and glorious, O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. Why, why does it start with this weird? proverb about riches but then goes on to talk about um it goes on to talk about you know glorifying god but again the whole works thing and being i i wonder if you said what does it start with it i actually don't i know what you're saying you're saying luke 11 sorry jeremiah 17 verse 11 starts with it Mm -hmm. but i think but i don't think that's the start of the train of thought yeah, I okay. think the train of thought is starting at least at the beginning of the chapter. Okay, so why does it have something like Jeremiah's trust in the Lord in the middle there? Okay, so they have those little subheadings have been mm-hmm. put in later by scholars. Sometimes they're helpful. Yep. And sometimes they're a hindrance, in my opinion. Okay. They're they're a helpful they're helpful because you, they, they do break up points, but sometimes they break the train of thought. Mm. Just because you see a subheading in your Bible does not mean you should not put it back in the context of its uh-huh. chapter. Good. Very often, if you do it, it's pretty obvious. You can see where you, we're pretty attuned to know when a train of thought ends and a new one starts. Mm. In this case, 
it, verse 11, like a partridge that had, hatches eggs and she's not laid. I mean, that clearly is carrying on the thought from beforehand where it was talking about the human heart and selfishness and sinful attitudes, right. which is what the whole of this chapter is about. He's contrasting those who live God's way and those who live for themselves. Yeah, okay. Um, and that so is, it's not really talking about riches. We really need to look at the poetry it's of it, a, right? It's a metaphor. Well, we all know, don't we, that even David says this. You could, uh, you could confront this, compare this with some of the Psalms where David has a Psalm where he says, Lord, how come is it that the righteous suffer and the wicked seem to, pre- seem to prosper? Well, here, this is saying, no, 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 they might look like they're prospering, but in the end, they're going to be poor old, what does it say? Poor old men, poor old fools, right? Poor old fools, yeah. But let's face it, we know that not every person that uh, lives for themselves dies a poor old fool. Some of them live as rich old fools and die. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that to the rich, the rich guy, you know, in the parable, you're going to get to the end of your life, you've got plenty of wealth, but you're, you're impoverished inside. So I think we need to see it's a general principle, um, but it's not as sim- oversimplistic and black and white as if you live for yourself, eventually you're going to lose it all. It's more talking about riches. I think it's talking about more than wealth, than yeah, physical riches wealth. Yeah, riches in heart. like the fruit of the spirit. Yes, I think so. It's a good way to put it. Riches of that, having all of those those fruits of the spirit and and seeking those is far greater riches than, yes. than actual gold and yep, wealth. That's and it. earthly wealth. Yep, for sure. Yeah? Yep, absolutely. Good point. Galatians 6. Galatians 6, um, if we move through to verse 7, uh, it says, Don't be dis- misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. There's that word justice again. Justice again. It's there again, isn't it? In the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. You can't mock God. with ju- you know, he's, he's just. God is the same yesterday, today, and Absolutely. forever. So. so we read the Old Testament and we read the New Testament and we think they look like different gods. It's the same God. He's, he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's how we're interpreting it and reading it. Mm. Yep. Uh, and then it goes on to say, you will always harvest what you plant. Again, there's that thing. That sounds that, like Jeremiah 17 that we just did. Yes, exactly. So I think this is just reiterating um, for us as we read it. It's reiterating what we've just talked about. Yeah, it's but this contrast it's between this living for yourself and living by the Spirit. And exactly. Yeah. So those who only live to satisfy their only sinful nature, their own sinful nature, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. So de- harvest it. So is this God pronouncing judgment, or is it that the judgment is the end result of choosing our own way? Yeah. Do you right. get it? Yes. We're one, doing the planting. We're, right? we're planting our own dis- dis- judgment in that sense. Yes. And and scholars wrestle with that. How much of it is God doing it, and how much of it is us doing it? And it's probably not a one size fits all answer. But you can see there that there is definitely this sense in which if we choose to live a certain way, we will come under the judgment of God, mm. because we are disconnecting ourselves from the life source, the fruitfulness that yeah. God. Well, God is not wanting to judge. He's wanting to give us fruitfulness, but we need to stay connected to his spirit to do that. Mm. So for those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So this everlasting life, can we just quickly unpack that in, you know, 
20 um, seconds or less, or okay. is this more like um, a whole other prob- podcast? It probably is a whole other podcast, the theme of everlasting life. But in, in the context here, we're talking about Genesis language. We're definitely referring to that kind of language here. So ha- harvesting everlasting life, um, it clearly isn't, it's not just talking about oh, living forever. I think that's, the, that's where we go as Christians. We think, oh, this is all about when I go to G- be with Jesus and I live forever in heaven. That's not New Testament or Old Testament concept of everlasting life. Everlasting life is more better to think about as um, eating from the, the life source of God and having a fulfilled life, a life that lives out love, joy, peace, patience in the world around me. It's abundant life. It's not just eternal, that's part of it, but it's also fullness of life, the full, satisfying, rich life. Mm. So I guess that's a good way to keep moving on to my next question, which is where it says here that we are transformed into a new creation. Explain what that actually means because being a new creation, again, if I, I keep going back to this, if I read this for the first time, it doesn't really doesn't make, make sense. sense. It sounds like a sci-fi movie. It sounds yep. like something that's impossible. Do I actually get reborn? Yep. Um, I know you touched on it again with about Nicodemus yep. uh, with a couple of episodes ago. Um, I know I keep saying that, but what, listen to the whole yeah, thing, people. Yeah. It's really... <laughs> the, the theme of The theme this, is the, great. The whole theme of this um, new creation life mm-hmm. is a common theme throughout Scripture. So you, you could pull it out on its own, but look at it in its context. You, you're right. John 3, Nicodemus talks about it. Genesis talks about new creation. Revelation talks about new creation. The promise of new creation is, is there all the way through Scripture. And God is wanting to bring about new creation through his fresh new creation of in us in you and i as followers of christ we are now second corinthians 5 we are now new creations the old has gone the new has come so it's a a theme that paul is picking up and the writers are picking up all the way through mm. i remember actually saying when i was a kid um to my parents trying to understand this whole born again thing but i don't want to start again i don't want to yeah, become yeah. a baby again yeah, that's, <laughs> i know that see, sounds like a really childlike question but at the same time, it's, it, it is a... Well, it's exactly the question Nicodemus was asking. Yeah. And he was a religious scholar. Yeah. <laughs> and he was Israel's teacher. Jesus commends him. He was, he was up there at the elite of the, the school of the Bible college of the first century in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going, yeah, so don't feel like you're in bad company if Nicodemus is asking the same <laughs> question. Yeah, so this whole concept of new creation, new life, um, yeah. what does that look like? It's dig into it. It's mm. Don't fall into just the thinking it's just, oh, I'll go to be with Jesus forever and live forever when I die. That's such a, it's, it sounds exciting, but it's so much richer than just that. Yeah. The, the new life has a lot more to do with life in this earth, in this life, than it does to do with life in the eternal life, actually. Yeah. So my next question would be, but I'll, I'll leave it as a rhetorical question to kind of wrap up this chapter, uh, because we'll, I think we'll touch on it more later um, as we continue to read. How do we get there? How, t- how exactly does one become born again? Okay, so Leviticus 26, I think, um, is a little confusing 
However, one really strong question that kind of came up for me was this punishment that they have. It says we're seven back times. Back on the punishments Yeah, again. punishments again. See, right. we're back on that again. All of these, this is why I said before, all of these chapters in the Old Testament, they if you read them together. all alone though, without the New Testament yeah. stuff, it gets a little scary. Uh, but what I really wanted to ask about is what is the significance, because we've talked about seven in this podcast yes, as we well, have, the number it? seven. It says specifically oh, that see. this punishment is seven, seven times, times over. over. Okay. A few times. He okay. says it, oh, I haven't got written down how many times, That's but can you help us to understand what the significance of that is and why their punishment is seven times, seven over? times over? So when you see seven, uh, think of completion, fullness, yes. wholeness. So to be judged seven times over is to come underneath complete judgment. Mm. It's a sense of you're going to get what you deserve. Okay, so we don't have to spend a lot of time dealing. We've already touched on why that's saying that and why yeah. that seems harsh, but that's actually us choosing to extract ourselves from yes. God. But it's saying if you're going to live this way, you're going to get what you deserve to its completion. Mm. You know, it's going to come to you in the fullness. But remember, verse 3 says, if you follow my decrees and be careful to obey my commands, this will happen. If you don't, this will happen. So it's this whole thing again, stay close to God. And, you would, and you'll see this in, uh, in well, this is Leviticus, but Deuteronomy 28 is, the, is parallel as well. It talks about blessings and cursings for living mm-hmm. a certain way. And it talks about how you'll receive a full blessing if you obey and you'll receive a full blessing, a full cursing. If you don't, you'll, br- you'll bring a curse upon yourself. Mm-hmm. Same deal here. So si- simply just put, if you live, choose to live for yourself, you will experience a seven-time over for your sins it's a completion a completion so it's not like it's not I'm like gonna, god's counting seven times right? <laughs> i'm gonna no. punish you seven times no. it's it, no. that's what that means that sounds vindictive oh, yes. god's just counting right that's number five you've got two more to come no it's it's this sense of you're going to bring fullness of judgment upon yourself if you choose to disobey me and and choose what's right for yourself yeah and again that really reiterates why it's important when you read something like that it's really important to discuss these scriptures yeah, exactly, amongst community. You don't know the this metaphor of yeah. biblical metaphors, but you might not know that. But if you're sitting in a Bible study with someone, someone will know, oh, hang on, seven means, seven means fullness. Let's, or we'll just Google, what does seven mean in mm. the Bible? And you start there and you'll start to get pictures. Lots of metaphors. You don't have to take everything completely literally. You need to read, de- read in and understand the depth of metaphors. We have metaphors in our everyday language yeah. all the time. So be prepared to... If someone 100 years from now is listening to some of the metaphorical language we use and they're trying to translate it literally, they're going to get confused too. So it's good to understand yeah. metaphor. Yeah. And it, that chapter ends with, with this. But despite all this, I will not utterly reject there or despise go. them while they are in exile of the, in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out, for I am the Lord their God. For their sakes, I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors. And he's talking about, so he's talking about, um, uh, about yeah, Moses. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, in this case, he's talking probably about Abraham, Isaac, and yeah, Jacob. Yeah. yeah, so whom I brought out of the land of Egypt yep. in the sight of all nations that I might be their God, I am the Lord. Uh, so oh, hang on a second. This is actually written later. Mm. If you look at this, this is saying these are the decrees, regulations, and instructions that the Lord gave through Moses. This could be a later author commenting back and filling in this. Yep. Yeah, so this again is another example of that 
it's not chronological. Yep. Um, however, you know, they're talking about that later on. Yep. So, yeah, and I think the reason why I wanted to highlight that before we move on was because, yes, okay, it looks really scary and awful, but he's saying here that he's he will keep his promises. Yes, he's faithful. He's faithful it's and a, it's a con- he's not going to cancel it out. It's a invitation into relationship with him. Mm. God is, God's law and Torah is about invitation to relationship, not about rules and regulations that will force you away from relationship. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Okay, Second Peter 1, 2 and 3. We'll do the whole book. Let's do the whole book. The whole this letter. Is, this is pretty cool. This is a whole letter that we're doing. Um, and we're reading it in, you know, obviously everyone's reading it over three days, but um, yeah, we'll talk about it all now as a unit, as a unit. Sure. yeah, because it all flows together, yeah. like you said, and makes sense. Um, so, first of all, verse three, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. This connects to what we were talking about before, right? How do we live this by the this, spirit how do we actually do it living this is staying connected to god yeah if, we, if we're going to live a godly life we're going to need his supernatural life force on the inside of us it's tree of life language it's spirit language it's uh yes yeah, by his divine power connect to the life source it's the vine of john 17 yep it's exactly spirit-filled living requires connection with the spirit mm. yep so we've received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I love this. I love this language because it's a letter to these people, and it's telling, it's giving them instruction on how to do this. But it's also just it's very this, pastoral. It's pastoral, but it's also poetry yep. and worship almost. Not you bad know? for a like, fisherman, hey? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> cool. Like not bad An at all. Fisherman, he was called. Some years later, he's obviously mastered the art because. You know, if Peter was known for being a man of uh, putting his words in the wrong place when he was hanging out with Jesus, yeah. but by this time he's um, matured. Well, yeah. how did he mature? He received, the, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, yeah, right? Yeah, and then and then lived a life of um, you know hardship and apostleship and mm. trial and wisdom and gain through challenging lessons and being rebuked by Paul and different things. So, yes, by this stage and he's he's very much later in life and he's writing beautiful bit of poetry yeah. there it is it's like yeah. it's like poetry and yeah. it's it's beautiful to to read yeah um however some of it doesn't always make sense to us so let's keep unpacking it uh verse five in view of all of this ev- make every effort to respond to god's promises here we go supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Um, Reading that, it's like, okay, so it's not by faith alone. Are we actually saved by faith alone? Or is it like Peter is saying here, make every effort to respond to God's promises by supplementing your faith? with these with these things and it goes on and and says all of these lists all of these things that we should be aiming for yep to try and achieve 
So why is it contradictory or is it, again, complementary, like we were saying before, that we save by faith alone but we have to supplement it with yes, these things? Yes, yes. So this runs into a question that a lot of people ask, which is how do we reconcile salvation by faith and grace versus good works? And so uh, and different streams and, and traditions within the Christian church have focused on different things. And so uh, those that have of the Protestant tradition, um, in an, an effort to try to contradict some of the works-based teaching of the Roman Catholic Church at the time around indulgences and you had to do certain things and pay certain money, Martin Luther came along and said, no, that's not how it works. You're saved by faith. Um, the just shall live by faith. Salvation is not dependent upon your works. And, and Paul is very big on that. People think, for instance, James and Peter, they think, well, that seems to contradict Paul, which is your question. Like, which one is it? Is your salvation contingent upon self-control and endurance and all these yes. supplementary things? So I think if you look at it in its context, it's not saying that. Uh, another one, a good example of this is James 1, where it says, um, it says faith without works is dead, mm. right? That's a famous one. Faith, well, ha hang on a second. How can you have, if, if works doesn't give you faith, then how can faith be dead without works? And I, I think, this come up, okay, yeah. I think this is order. I think this is the, the order of things. If you, if we believe that our works somehow bring about salvation, we've got it back to front. Mm. If we understand that our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, and then the natural byproduct of that is an expectation from God that we will supplement it with good works, then we've got it in the right order. What a lot of Protestant Christians do is they say, well, I'm saved by grace. I don't really, it doesn't really matter how I live my life now because that doesn't affect my salvation. Dangerous, dangerous. In fact, mm. the New Testament would condemn that multiple times. It actually yes. says that's a bad attitude. In fact, you, your faith is shaky if you're doing that because that is faith without works mm. um, and that's dead. So uh, Ephesians 2 puts it this way in verses 8 and 9. It says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. So this is not a work of your own, nothing you've done. It's a gift of God. You're saved by grace. For we are, and then it goes on in verse 9 and says, For we are God's workmanship prepared, uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, to supplement our faith with good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Simply put, salvation is free by grace and faith in Christ. However, the end result of that is that it should and must demand of us a moral excellent desire to live a moral excellent life the good news is that through christ's power we are able to live a moral excellent life or at least try or i th actually yes yes and no i think we can't possibly hope to live a truly moral excellent life 100 percent without christ and then back to that question of judging moving towards the wall jump at a time mm. but more and more over time if we stay close to christ spirit-filled life we should be producing fruitfulness that is moral excellence and brotherly love and godly affection and all these things that peter's talking about here mm, which kind of answers the question my next question really um in verse eight it talks about uh it says the more you grow like this and i wanted to highlight that theme again that we've we've seen in these chapters about being planted yeah, in, uh, by the yeah and being planted and by the river and the and yep. the living water and all that sort of thing so this this metaphor of growing like this 
and productive and fruitful. It's and all being there. productive Same and metaphor. fruitful and, and useful. Is this saying that we don't have to be like that straight away, but allow him to work, yep. the Holy Spirit to work in us yep. so that we might grow to be more like yes. him? Yes, when We're never supposed to be completely perfect no. upon salvation. No. We are legally like letting, perfect. We are justified mm. legally perfect in God's mm. eyes because of salvation. But sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ as we spend time with him, stay connected to the vine. We will grow, says there, more productive, useful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Mm. That's a process that will never end. Yeah, and we can't, we can't expect to be perfect. However, as we, as we seek the Holy Spirit, as we seek the word, as we, we, more like as we have that written on our heart more and yep. more each, each day and each week, we'll become more like him. Well, because let's just read a couple the natural more byproduct of being planted is in soil growth. with water is, becoming, is growing a tree, we're if we're using that metaphor. Yep. Yes, if we're connected yep. to the tree of life, which is, I guess, my next question, mm-hmm. how do we be connected to the tree of life? Back to those well, initial yeah, things we said. Yeah, those initial Prayer, things that we said. Word of God, community, worship, all those things. That is, mm. they're the things that stay, keep us connected. That's it. Verse 9 says, but those who fail to develop in this way, in other words, fail to do these things, they're like short-sighted and blind. They forget that they've been cleansed from their old sins. And then it's an urging. So work hard to prove who you really are. So Peter is saying, you've been saved. Now I'm challenging you to... Allow God's power and connection and life source in you to desire to live out this kind of life. Mm, that's how, we, how we live matters. Mm. This is the problem is a lot of the shallowness of Christian gospel is it's not really about how you live because you're just saved. Now you've got your ticket to heaven. It doesn't fit with the message of the scripture is you're supposed to live a godly life on this earth and partner with God and bring heaven to earth. We only do that through connection with the spirit. And being, living a godly life doesn't mean to... Um, living a godly life doesn't mean to condemn others and be perfect and say I'm great and you're not it's to love others always look through all of these chapters and all of these all of these things that we're reading through the lens of what you said before the love (laughs) love love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Mm. goodness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control yeah that's good staying connected with him that's good I actually wanted to ask about this part really quickly it says here in verse 10 um, called and chosen can we unpack that just really quickly does that mean that we aren't all called and chosen to be in god's family and is proving that going back to works i don't think it's going back to work i works i think it's actually saying you're going to be able to fulfill what you are called and chosen to do if you are in christ so mm. working hard yeah it's, it's not working hard in the sense of obeying a whole lot of rules of do's and don'ts and that sort of stuff it's not that kind of working hard it's it's saying work hard in those things of prayer and praise and devotion and mm. reading and community those things work hard at those things because they will bring they will show that you're in relationship does that answer that question yes yes still in chapter one actually um a little bit further down therefore i will always remind you about these things even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught 
and is it only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live? Is Peter just telling us to keep reading the scriptures here? Yep. Yep, that's Good. yeah. He's saying stay close to God. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep just re- all this constant reminder. Remember that meditate on the law of the Lord day and mm. night. That's what he's saying. He's saying stay connected. And I think it's important to note here that we'll never reach that full yep. growth. We'll never no. know every single thing about no. the Bible. Keep reading it. Keep, keep reading. Keep mining it. Keep in discovering new things. Mm, yep, that's, that's right. Good. It's an open invitation into growth. That's good. And then verse sixteen says, for we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which I wanted to touch on because it's like this little hint about the Ascension story, which we're mm-hmm. moving on to next week. Um, but because he says here in verse 19, because of this that experience, they have greater confidence. So he's basically saying here, we saw Jesus ascend. We saw him, God, come down and say, God's voice say, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. So they have this confidence in this is what is yes. truth. Yes. How do we share this confidence even though we weren't there? Yes, we're sure. just listening because he says later on those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. But how do like yeah. we read this and we have faith, but... How do we share that same confidence? Well, my, my faith like, in this is that Peter is giving an eyewitness account. And he's actually not an eyewitness account on the ascension he's referring to here. He's talking about the transfiguration. Ah, yes. Sorry. Okay. Yes, of course. So he's talking about when he, Peter, James and John were on the mountain and they saw Jesus transfigured and Moses and Elijah ah, were there. Ah, yes, yes, okay. yes. Okay. So right. that was one. That, it was just three of them saw that. Mm. Peter's one of those. Yeah. And he's saying, I saw that glory on the mountain. That's pretty amazing. It is. It's <laughs> a pretty he, cool story. It's a pretty amazing story. And he's actually appealing to his, li- li- his listeners. He's saying, trust me, I saw that. If you can trust, you, you can trust me. I saw, I witnessed that myself. And so he's appealing to that. Very similar to how with the resurrection, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it is, where he says he appeared to, I talked about this in a previous episode, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to all these people, and um, even appeared to 500 people. Some of them are dead, but some of them are still alive. So go and ask them. So yeah. he's, he's saying, um, you can trust this message. Yeah. Okay. And so my f- it's still faith because I've got to trust that people have gone before and this is the same Peter that said it's writing that. Mm. But it fits. That's, how, that's what he's asking his listeners to do. He's saying, you can trust me. You know me. I was there. Yeah. So it's not really saying like what I was saying, that you sh- I can have this confidence and faith because I saw it and you can't. <laughs> no, he's actually saying, would you have it because you can trust that I'm telling you the truth? Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. It's like almost being a witness if we go back yes, to the... Yes, it's a witness. The, he's a yeah, witness. he's a witness. That's yeah. right. And he's saying, trust me, mm. I was a witness. Okay, so if we move on to chapter two, it's the same letter, isn't it? It's just broken up into these These chapters, these chapters, these three parts. Um, So he's talking to the same people. Who is he actually talking to? I think um, he tells us that at the beginning um, of chapter one, I think. I'm writing to those who share the precious faith we have, the faith that was given because of the justice and fairness of the Lord Jesus. So he's writing to... Uh, Christians. It doesn't actually tell us the geography of where those people mm. are, um, but he's writing to um, 
So right it's not like the, uh, the letters from Paul with cor- to the Corinthians or anything like that. It's it's a letter that's gone to someone, but we don't know who. We don't know who. So it no, it might be one Peter one. Yes, so one Peter one tells us I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living in as foreign as in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is modern day Turkey. Mm. So he's writing to churches that the apostle Paul planted and he's writing to those. And in fact, that's where they think Peter spent some time later on. So whether or not two Peter is the same Same. group as one Peter, I'm not gonna comment without checking with the scholars. I suspect it probably is the same group. Yeah, I I ask this question because sometimes it's important to know where these people are at, right? Um, And why, why he's talking about specific things to them. Because again, in chapter two, he talks about God's judgment again. Yep. Um, so yeah, this common theme here is God's judgment before and now, and that's still the same. Justice is still the same. Yep. However, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at it through the lens of love. Yes. So in chapter two, it talks about these supernatural beings Um, Uh, Okay. So who are these supernatural beings? So these supernatural beings, um, he he is quoting from and heavily relying upon an apocryphal book called the Book of Enoch. Uh Uh-huh. So where is the Book of Enoch? It's not in our Bible. Why? um, uh, (laughs) That's a question that I'm going to have to uh, go into outside the scope of this conversation. Okay. Um, It was a common text at the time of the, it was a common biblical there was a common religious text at the time of christ um, however when they put together the final bible they went back to the um the, the texts that were accepted um at the time of the second temple period so a few hundred years before that and i think that's why they left it out but at the time of jesus the book of enoch heavily influenced their understanding and so some of this quoting here and book of enoch quotes on some of the stuff from the book of genesis mm-hmm. so your question was who are these supernatural supernatural beings, beings. so mm-hmm. um i think in a nutshell without confusing you in, in, <laughs> it's an invitation into greater knowledge mm. he's probably referring to a group the book of enoch calls the watchers which were spiritual beings that were sent to um, watch over humanity however they did not maintain their in the same way that humans rebelled against god and chose to do what's right and wrong for themselves there's this group of spiritual beings that choose chose to do what was right for themselves and corrupted humanity okay is that the angels that were fallen yes or is that completely no, different that we're on the similar tr- okay yes it's just a more elaborate richer understanding of that than maybe what we as christians know from just a simplified reading of the text but yes they were fallen angels they were angels that had left failed to stay where they should and it can be it's even linked in with genesis 6 and the nephilim and all that sort of stuff okay so uh, these angels that were fallen where else do do we read about this anywhere else or is it just really in Uh, we read about it in genesis yeah uh we read about it in peter and jude and well, and I think Jesus even probably refers to it when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven in Luke 10, Luke 11, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, it's, it's very much in the psyche of the first century Jews that there were these spiritual beings that uh, disobeyed God. And there's a, there's a, there was a heavenly rebellion just as there was an earthly rebellion. The Genesis 3 earthly rebellion, rebellion is mirrored by a spiritual rebellion of spiritual beings. Okay. And are they the... 
demons or Satan's angels or I how, think what, how would so. you put that? I would now. put it like that. Yes, yeah. I would put it like that. There's even nuance around exactly what demons are, but yeah, I, which is beyond the scope of this of um, this study. But yeah, yeah, fallen <laughs> only, spiritual only ask beings. It it's yeah, it's there. there. It is fallen, and they knew all this history. Yeah. But yeah, yes, the, because they had this, they had this book of had, Enoch, and yeah. they had these. So suffice it to say that over time they built a, a doctrine and a theology of spiritual beings, and for, forefront of their spiritual theology was that there were these angelic spiritual beings that had turned their back on God, just as Adam and Eve had, mm-hmm. and had defined and taken for themselves. And it's all the same language. They took women. I think it says it in this version. Mm-hmm. They um, they took for themselves women. It's a horrible story, but it's the same language as Garden of Eden language. They took mm. for themselves. It looked good to them, so they took it. Yeah, wow. So spiritual beings did the same thing. Like even in verse 19, it says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. Yes. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Yep. Um, so I kind of get why he's talking about this, but I did have this question written down because at the end it says, um, at the end of chapter 2, it says it would be better if they had never known uh, the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. Yeah. And another <laughs> Washed says, pig revi- returns uh, yeah, to Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty harsh. It's, it's pretty like, oi, it, this, this isn't is gentle, gross. This isn't gentle New Testament. You no, need, this, this is, is like, come on, guys, this is what's going to happen. This is what it's like if you could turn backwards from righteousness. Yes, yes. And this is, this is like Old Testament prophecy in the New Testament. We just we say, oh, the New Testament is all whitewashed and clean. And this mm, no, it's, it's, not. it's saying you've got a choice how you want to live your life. You want to live spirit-filled or not? Yeah, and, that's, and I think that's why it connects. Because <laughs> reading, like, reading about these supernatural beings and reading about yeah. these fallen angels yeah. and all that well, sort of stuff. Well, he's using that supernatural being language and it's common to them. It's not common yeah, to us, yeah. but it, in them it's loading up an understanding which is helpful mm-hmm. to go and study but the point is not supernatural beings the point is how he's trying to tell us to live our lives yeah yeah and it makes sense because it connects with chapter one yep. when we're talking about um, growing in the spirit and all that sort of stuff but if you and supplementing your faith yep. with with um, with patience and all of that Good sort of stuff, stuff rather than going backwards he's yep. saying don't go backwards because it's yep don't silly go back there and it, and it's you get dirty and yeah. filthy again and it's don't no go good back no good All right, let's so, go on to Second Peter 3. Peter 3, uh, verse 1 to 8. Uh, why does he bring up that uh, God destroyed everything when talking about the second coming? Why have I said that? While you ask that question, I just note here it says in Second Peter 3, this is now my second letter to you, dear friends. So mm, this is that proof pause. it's the same group of people. Yep. As one feeder. Yep. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not like the what we just read was the end of the letter and then oh, no, no. chapter this is three all is one the letter. start of no. a new letter. No. This is all one letter. He's just reminding but you. This is the it's the same letter. group of people in first Peter. Correct. Right. Yep. Good. Okay. That's good. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to live right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that the way he's described yep. that. It's great. So back to your question about verse 8, was it? Um, yeah, no, one, verse 1 to 8. 1 to 8. Um, 
why does he bring up that God destroyed everything back with Noah and yep. all of that sort of thing? Why does he bring that up when he's talking about the second coming of Jesus? What what is okay. why is it even relate? Well, let's it have just, a look. What's he trying to do? Let me just read it. This is the second letter. I want to remember. Uh, rem, I want you to remember the prophets said long ago. Most importantly, I want to remind you that the, in the last days, scoffers are going to come mocking at the truth. They'll say, yeah, it's all the same. It always has been. What happened to Jesus' promises? Nothing's changed. But they're forgetting that the heaven, long ago, the heavens, uh, long ago, by the word of his command, he brought out the water and surrounded it with water. So he's referring to Noah's judgment. Yes. Okay. But he wants us not to forget. Verse 8, but you must not forget this one thing. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. I think what he's trying to say is you could live this life going, oh, it doesn't really matter. God's not going to come through with any judgment. God's not really there. He doesn't not really interested or disconnected. He's disconnected from us so we can live however we want. And he's saying they're deliberately forgetting that God did bring judgment before because they chose to live their own way. Mm. It might seem like he's slow in keeping his promise, but it's going to come. So live right. I'm urging you. Remember, his whole mentality here is he wants his people to live a godly life. Mm. So when it says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, is that is it right to say that God is above time? He is yes. Time is a creation. Yep. I've, I've heard it said before that time is a creation and that he's above time. He, he doesn't work God like God created our, time as well. Yeah, he, yep. it does, our brains work because we're part of that creation, yep. our brains work in time, yep. but his doesn't. That's he d- correct. He is above that. Yep. Yeah. So Even Einstein discovered that, but that's a different topic. But yeah. time, time is actually a dimension and time isn't constant. Speaking yes. of time, let's... Um, speaking of time, let's move let's on. Let's move on. Because he's got all the time in the world, but we don't. Uh, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a, unexpectedly as a thief. Um Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in a fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So this is a prediction of the end of the world as we know it. This is the fulfilment of God bringing in his final kingdom. Yes. This block, it sounds like a blockbuster movie, really. <laughs> like a, a lot of a lot yeah, of sure. these chapters do sound like that. But why does he bring this up here? And what does that relate to growing in him and grace and the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, the answer is in verse 11. I think if you follow Peter's train of thought, he's just talked about all this judgment. He says, since everything like this is going to be destroyed like this, what kind of holy life should you be like? Well, you should be looking forward to the day of God Mm. and hurrying it along. On that day, he's going to put everything right. But you have an ability to live a life that will usher in God's kingdom. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says the day is set. Peter seems to be saying you can actually affect, speed up the day of coming. Some say you live such godly lives that you speed the day of the Lord. Mm. So the way you and I conduct ourselves, the way Peter is urging us to live our lives morally and ethically Mm -hmm. and kingdom life, it actually has the ability to usher in God's kingdom on the earth. In some way, our lives affect the timing of that fulfillment. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You will be done. Yeah, it's not passive, it's active. You so it says to be patient and that a day is like a thousand years but and a thousand years is like a day, but it also says, it says to hurry it along. Hurry it along by it, the way you live. Your kingdom almost, come, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. 
the way you, Peter is saying, if you want to live right, you can bring God's kingdom to earth sooner. Wow. And he's urging us to do that. That's pretty amazing. So does that mean doing the opposite of that slows it down? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a valid way to consider this. That's a great privilege. That's the partnership. God is partnering with humans. We've been invited into the story. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's incredible. Um, so to grow in the grace, how do, how do we grow? I guess to wrap it, let's wrap this up, this fruit of the Spirit. How do we grow? We've said this, probably answered let's this a few su- times. Let's sum it up. But let's sum it up yep. with how do we grow in the grace of God? How do we grow in, in the right. fruit let's, of the Spirit? Let's, let's sum it up with these simple things. We're going to say it repeatedly. Let's put them in order. We sum it up with all of these. A prayer life that's in relationship with Jesus. Worship and, and submitting ourselves. And mu- Worship is more than music, but listening to music, prayer, praise, spending time with Jesus, obedience to him, desiring to, to live a life that uh, wants to do the right thing, wants to live a moral, pure life, like Peter said there. Um, it's that kind of desire. We, we sum it up through discovering God in his word, mm. spending time in the scriptures. And we sum it up through spending time in the scriptures in community. I think it was important to reiterate those things multiple times yep. during these passages because a lot of the time we can read this and think, wow, this is really unachievable. Whether we read it in the 613 yep. laws or we read it in all of the different confusing letters that sometimes don't seem to marry up, but you know, as we dig deeper, we know that we they do. It's a continual story. It is a Jesus. continual story leading to Jesus and these five things that you've just said are really achievable they are. that we can do yep. when we put them into practice in our everyday thing. life. It's exciting yep. that all of this comes together when we do those things and all it's about is love and relationship with God. Yep, through Jesus. Through Jesus. What a privilege what a, and an honour. delight. And even that, just as I say that, it makes my heart want to worship him. Amen. It makes my heart want to dig deep into these scriptures it makes me want to pray and thank god and glorify him so i think as we end today why don't we sum it up with psalm 128 we'll just read it it. let's just read psalm 128 which is the final one we had we don't even need to discuss it i think it sums it up really well for us I think it sums it up really well for us. Mm, That's good. It says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as, you lo- as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Amen. What a picture of what we're talking about. Exactly, right? I'm Amen. so glad we left that to, just to, read to that. the end. And just it doesn't to, need commentary, does it? It doesn't. It is the commentary on what we've been talking about. It is. It is. Amen. And well, thanks, thank Amanda. You. Thank you. This has been really fun. Great. We'll talk to you next time. See you next week.